Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the Hospital Finance Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Alara Legg, who is our Solutions Strategy Director here at Bessler, and we're going to be going over a few of the key points in the recently released Outpatient Prospective Payment Final Rule. Laura, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. So why don't we get started? I know you wanted to uh, open up and just talk a little bit about um, this year's rule, where you can find it, and uh, we'll jump into uh, what changed from there. Great. Well, thanks to everyone who joined us today. Um, we certainly know from looking at the proposed rule that we aren't going to lack for things to talk about uh, regard to the outpatient final rule. So one of the things I did right off the bat was go take a look. So I went into the website, which was easy to find. You find it on Google. Um, just Google fiscal year 2019 OPPS final rule, and you will get all 1,182 pages of it, and often I like to ask a polling question um, when I'm on a webinar or have an audience to see how many people actually read it. And I have to confess to you, Mike, and to the group today, I didn't read the whole thing, but I did spend a lot of time going through it. And I would suggest if you're looking for something that you use the search box uh, that is at the top of the page of the final rule, because otherwise uh, going through 1,182 pages is a daunting task. Uh, but seriously, the information in the final rule is really important to us, and, and that's why we're here today. No doubt. Lots of major uh, items to cover here, and, and we'll go through just a few today, and then we'll tell you where you can uh, get Laura's full analysis here at the end of the podcast. Uh, so, Laura, in your analysis, you identified a few areas uh, that the rule was essentially um, focused on changing or making better in addition to the actual uh, technical changes that accompany them. And the first is price transparency. Why don't you tell us about that? Mike, many of us have been waiting for some clarification from CMS about price, price transparency. And I'm sorry to say that we did not get it in the OPPS final rule. But I do want to pass along a little bit of information I think is important uh, because I've had a lot of questions, and this is probably the area I've had uh, next to E&M, Price transparency is the area I've had the most questions. It does include all hospitals, including critical access hospitals. They all must post their prices by January 1, 2019. The format instructions from CMS are pretty unclear, and that's, that's for sure, and we did not get further clarification. But we do know that the rule includes all standard charges for items and services provided by the hospital. Uh, the format itself is the hospital's choice. So the format on how you choose to, pub choose to publish your standard charges is up to you. Uh, but really, it's, most people are referring to it. They're going to represent their hospital's current standard charges by using their charge master. Uh, Mike, I did want to point out to the audience today that it is important to take a proactive approach um, by developing a unique uh, publication plan for your CDM. Uh, this will make sure that you do due diligence in evaluating the risks and the public relation impact. And this should result in a more strategic approach uh, because 
you're going to publish this and patients are going to go out and see it and what is their reaction going to be is is a big is one of the big questions uh, so consider not only what to include in the public view profile but also the ramifications hospitals will want to ensure that their publication version of the file is current and has accurate information only uh, that's going to be important uh, three tips that I would throw out there to hospitals that, to ensure their public view charge master. Number one, doesn't include copywritten data elements without clear knowledge of the license parameters. Number two, that it's free from incorrect or overwritten data. Number three, that it's posted in a way that makes certain to control undesired downloads. So all of those are really important. As a top priority, I would give careful consideration of which charge data fields will be displayed. I also really suggest developing a patient educational information in a narrative format. The reason for that is I, you know, there's a lot of confusion when the public receives something as complex as a CDM, a look at your CDM file. So really be prepared to respond to questions and concerns about what the public can see. Laura, the second key theme that you mentioned in your analysis is telemedicine. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, I'm, kind of, I'm really happy to, to say that for the first time, um, this rule is going to provide access to virtual care in an expanded way. And I have some per personal experience with telemedicine, and I'll tell you, I thought it was pretty slick when I used it one time. So Medicare's payment policies are designed to promote access to virtual care, and it's actually going to now become a reality. Um, it includes increased telemedicine services and easier access for seniors monitoring their chronic conditions. So, you know, the ideal is a patient that has uh, congestive heart failure and they need to be weighed and monitored closely. Um, sometimes for these seniors, might getting out to a place to be weighed and to see a physician can be really a daunting task. So really, it's going to be great. Now, word of caution, of course, is that telemedicine, in order to be paid by CMS, is going to have to meet the payment rules, and so that's going to be important. Um, so they're estimated that telehealth is an $18 billion industry today with significant growth projected, so real area of growth uh, in the United States, and it's in rural and as well as urban areas and proving to be safe and effective for patients that need to uh, to seek treatment. Uh, but you want to be sure that you are adhering to a few core principles, and I'm just going to quickly go over three of those, Mike. Uh, the, per the first one is licensure. The practice of telemedicine must occur where the patient receives treatment, not where the physician is located. So adherence to standards of care uh, for telemedicine are the same for an in as for inpatient care. Uh, payment, it's got to be medically necessary and a covered service should to be paid for regardless of how it's provided. So go forth with, uh, with caution for telemedicine payment, but the good news is that it is expanding through CMS with the proposed, with the final rule. And Laura, that you also mentioned in your analysis that the rule is situated to reduce physician administrative burden and burnout. What are your thoughts there? Well, this is good news for physicians and other providers, Mike. Um, some streamlined policies for documentation, uh, reduction in paperwork that's hopefully going to 
give what's wanted by physicians, you know, want to maintain that patient-physician relationship that's so important in medicine. And so these documentation policies are designed just to do that. Um, so they're going to reduce uh, paperwork burden, and I'm going to share just some of the ways that that's going to happen. Um, for fiscal year 2019 and beyond, CMS is finalizing several policies. One is elimination of the requirements to document the medical necessity of a home visit in lieu of an office visit. So for established patient, office, and outpatient visits when relevant information is already contained in the record. Practitioners can choose to focus their documentation on what has changed since the last visit and not re-record everything. So that's really the big news. Uh, for instance, if you have recorded a social and um, history, medical surgical history, you're going to be able to re-reuse that documentation rather than re-documenting it every time a patient comes in. The other one also is for E&M office outpatient visits. For new and established patients, practitioners will not have to re-enter the patient's chief complaint and history that have already been entered by ancillary staff. So that's great. Um, they can just simply indicate in the medical record that they have verified the information. So this is actually removal of duplicate requirements for notations in medical records. And I'm sure that physicians are going to be happy about that. So patients, as a result, patients are likely to see the effect of this by their patients, their physicians having more time to spend with them and be able to move more quickly and locate relevant information in the records. So, Mike, this really is a win for everybody. Certainly sounds like it. Uh, Laura, let's talk about uh, some of the uh, more specific points uh, of the rule itself. And certainly when these rules come out, uh, everyone pays attention to the payment rates. So tell us what's going on there. Well, uh, for, for calendar year 2019, CMS is increasing the payment rates under PPS by an outpatient department fee schedule increase factor of 1.35%, so that's good news. Uh, beyond that, there's also an increase factor based on the final hospital inpatient market basket percentage increase of 2.9% for inpatient services paid under IPPS, so all around some increase in payments rates. And based on this update, we estimate that total payments to outpatient providers uh, will be approximately $74 billion, which is an increase of approximately $5.8 billion compared to the estimated calendar year 2018 payments. So that's, a, that's the update, Mike, on the uh, payment rates. Got it. And. Uh... Another thing that uh, these rules tend to do is uh, shift what's considered to be an inpatient procedure versus an outpatient procedure, and certainly there were a few changes this year. Why don't you tell us about that? And these are really few changes, Mike. I was surprised that there wasn't a little more with all of the changes during the year regarding joint replacement and so forth, but really the final is there are uh, four procedures being removed and one procedure being added. And just real quickly, I'll let you know what those are. So the removals are code 31241 for nasal sinus endoscopy surgical. That's being removed. The second one is code 01402, and that's for anesthesia for open arthroscopic procedure is being removed. And then third, uh, 0266T for implementation or replacement of carotid 
sinus baroreflex activation device is being Last removal is code 00670, anesthesia for extensive spinal and spinal cord procedures. So those are the removals from the inpatient only list. The only addition this year, Mike, is code C9606, percutaneous transluminal revascularization of acute total subtotal occlusion during acute myocardial infarction. So that's the only addition, and that one does totally make sense since it's an open chest thoracic procedure that it would be on the inpatient only list, Mike. And one of the more controversial provisions uh, that were that was uh, discussed in this year's rule is the E&M flat rate. Uh, what's going on there, Laura? So this one really was the one I received the most questions about, probably read the most about in the news and um, on some of the, the websites I visit. So it was approved, but the good news is it was delayed until 2021 to allow more time. CMS received more than 15,000 comments uh, made to the agency. And so that they did respond to that by, um, they did approve it, but they did respond to those comments by providing more time to get used to it. So really the doctor spoke out and CMS has listened. They delayed any changes to codes for Medicare patient visits until 2021. So while they did move ahead with part of the plan to consolidate the codes for Medicare patient visits uh, and make changes in response to the comments, um, I know that doctors were worried that the plan would cut revenue for physicians who care for Medicare patients with complicated health conditions. So they did delay that which is going to allow the physicians as well as the American Hospital Association to iron out the details and have more to say on how they might want to update these E&M uh, codes. One of the reasons they did this, Mike, is that these E&M codes have not been updated for decades and they are pretty old. So we'll just have to wait and see uh, what comes forth next year or, or in 2021 is actually when they'll be in effect, but we'll have to watch the discussion between now and then. So we've covered just a few key themes on the podcast today. If you'd like to look over our more extensive analysis, you can visit Bessler.com forward slash 2019 OPPS, and there are some additional resources for you there. Laura, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you, Mike. It was my pleasure. If you enjoy the Hospital Finance Podcast, please head up to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a positive review. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.